So glad that you're here. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. If you're ready to decrease so he can increase, can I hear an amen? Amen. He has got to get greater and I've got to become less. That's how we're going to make it in this end time generation is by letting Jesus have all of us. People say, well, what would Jesus do during this time? Well, what did Jesus do with the lepers? Jesus was out there touching and changing the world. And sure, it takes faith. And sure, we can still believe in doctors and we don't want to be haphazard. But for us to get off the wall, to leave our place as watchmen during this time would be a great tragedy. You and I are called to be watchmen in all seasons. And to do that, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. No one here is saying you're going to do it on your own. I'm not saying that. It would be impossible to try to do this thing on your own. It was impossible on a good day to do this on your own. What do you think it's like now? God said with man, it's impossible to try to serve God. It's impossible. You can't do it. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the basic starting point is perfection. Can you and I do that? Without God's help, of course not. But if I be in God, I can be like God. Amen. If I can go from being a sinner to a saint by the blood of Jesus, then I can be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And so things that were once impossible become possible for the great I am. I am possible. Amen. He makes it possible. And so as we get into our text today in John chapter 3, we, we see that, that, that John the Baptist understood his role during the first coming of Jesus. And I believe that we need to know our role and to know our place in the second coming of Jesus. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Go with me to John chapter 3, verse 22 and onward. John the Baptist is speaking, and he's giving us insight into what's going on. But it starts off with a little bit of a narrative, so follow along. After this, talking about Jesus with Nicodemus, that's in the prior verses of John chapter 3, and we have the famous John 3.16 sermon and be born again in John 3.3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. So he's doing the work of the ministry. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim. Because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. Plenty of water for both to be baptizing. This was before John was put in prison. An argument then developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So a Jew, he's going to try to pick a fight with John's disciples because John's disciples were baptizing and doing what they were supposed to, but they weren't following the traditions of the Jews with all of their extra-biblical washings. Verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Right here we see that the argument turns into a diss towards John the Baptist's ministry. So they start off like trying to pick a religious fight with him. And then when they see that that's not working, that he's basically doing what Jesus had told him to do, they then want to now start a competition between him and Jesus. Don't you know the devil's always looking for a way to discourage you? If he can't do it in an argument or debate, he'll try to put you down. He'll try to 
cause division. He will do whatever he can to be a thief and a robber, and he'll use people to do it. So here these people are being used to discourage John the Baptist, and we're reading the narrative to get to these verses today about us in uh, us decreasing and Christ increasing. Watch this, verse 27. John replied, a person can only have or receive what is given to them from heaven. That's why he didn't have to be jealous of what Jesus was doing or even what another prophet would be doing. He had a principle. He had an axiom to his ministry. A person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. Somebody say, I am not, but he is. You see, he understood who he wasn't and who he was and who Jesus was. And that's where you've got to understand in your ministry, you know what? I am not the Savior, but I know the Savior. I am not the healer, come on, but I know a healer. I am not a baptizer in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I know a baptizer. I am not strong, but I know somebody who is strong. I'm not holy, but I know somebody who is holy. All of that comes from you knowing who you are not and knowing knowing who he is. And then the Bible goes in another passage, which we had, if we had time, we could get into, like in Ephesians. Now what he is, I become. Because he's holy and I'm in him, I get holy. Because he's powerful and I'm in him, I get some power, hallelujah. Because he is righteous and I'm in him, I'm now righteous. So John the Baptist understood that you can only receive from heaven what heaven gives. And he said, I know who I am not, and I know who he is. Then he goes on to say, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and he is full of joy. Somebody say, full of joy. Amen. When he hears the bridegroom's voice. How many are full of joy today hearing the voice of the Lord in this place? That joy is mine. Come on, somebody say, that joy is mine. Amen. And it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Let's say that together. One, two, three. He must become greater. I must become less. The old translation said, he must increase and I must decrease. If we have time, we'll get into 31 and onward. But this is enough for us to to start what I believe God has put on my heart. We are living in the end times. We know this from the signs of the times, Matthew chapter 24. We're seeing the increase of the false Christ, the increase of earthquakes and famines and disasters in the world. We're seeing that that today the Christians are being persecuted all over the world because of the sake of Christ. We're also seeing during this time nation rise up against nation. We know we're close. We know that we're close. And at the same time, there's a lot of deception going on in the church. As a matter of fact, it says before Christ comes and raptures the church that it will be like it was in the days of Noah where people were just eating and drinking. You know, Noah over there, he's building something. I guess it's called an ark. We don't know. We've never seen anything like it before. But you know what? He's been building it for over 50 years. And so my, my family told me about it and, and, and my parents' parents told us about it. Nothing has happened yet. So there must not be anything happening today. Years and years and years go by, over a hundred years. And then finally, what happened? God sends him into the ark, and that rain starts to come down. 
He said, Jesus said, that's what it's going to be like when I come and rapture the church, when I come and take the church to be with me in heaven. And then he allows the seven years of tribulation to come and then ending with his wrath and us coming back to rule and reign with him. He said that that's what it's going to be like. He said also it's going to be just like it was with Lot in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody was just eating and drinking, enjoying themselves. They thought to themselves, well, if God had a problem with our cities here, Sodom and Gomorrah, then he would have done something about it a long time ago because we've been having same-sex you know, uh, parties. We've been doing these wicked things for a long time, and there's never been any trouble around here from God. Crops are good. Businesses are good. Looks good here. And then all of a sudden the angels come to Lot's house and say, get out, get out, get out. We can't judge this place until you get out. And the moment he got out, boom, the fire came. Jesus said that's what it's going to be like when the judgment comes. They still won't even know. So the rapture comes when we're not expecting. And the judgment comes when we're not expecting. Both, you could see that the world is so blind they don't even get it. You would think after the rapture that they would know how to be ready for the second coming. But it says throughout the book of Revelation as all of these intense judgments are coming, they still refuse to repent. But the question is, where are we going to be? Are we going to be ready? Are we ready for Christ to come and get his church? Are we ready to see him in the air? Are we ready for the second coming of Jesus? When you think about the first coming of Jesus and all that he accomplished, we go back through the scriptures and we look at the Jews of Jesus' time and we wonder how in the world could they be so dull to miss him? All of these signs and all of these things that were happening all around them, yet they couldn't humble themselves to see it. It's not that they didn't have eyes. It's just that they had eyes that didn't see. It wasn't that they didn't have ears. It's that they had ears that couldn't hear. And sadly, during this time right now, we are now missing the moment. The church as a whole just thinks, well, let's just get through this little COVID thing. Let's just get through these riots in our cities. And let's just get through the government controlling everything. And let's just go back to business as usual. Some churches have already said, well, just to make it easy so you don't have to keep asking us, we're not going to reevaluate us opening until the first of the year. So just get used to being online. As the world is going to hell in a handbasket, so many Christians have said, this is the time for us just to take a step back, not get involved in politics, take a step back, not be involved in preaching the gospel. Don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff, just share cat videos on your social media. And yet, we are living literally within moments of Christ rapturing the church, the rise of the Antichrist, years of tribulation and judgment in the church for the most part. For the most part, let's be honest, is asleep, is asleep. And God is calling and arising up a John the Baptist generation. Because I want to tell you that during that time that they should have been waiting and they should have been hungry for the first coming of Jesus. They were sleeping, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit was sleeping. God raised up a voice in the wilderness and said, prepare you the way of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He has sent me to tell you he's coming. 
And I want to tell you today that I feel just like John the Baptist today. I feel like the Holy Spirit has come upon me and put me in the wilderness of Chicago on diversity and longing. What he wants me to tell the Belmont and Cragen and this area is that he's coming. He's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming. And I hope today you sense the call of a John the Baptist on you. You might be working in sanitation, customer care, a doctor, a lawyer. It doesn't matter. But you might feel like your voice has been overshadowed by all the other voices of this world. But God said, no, he gave you a voice like John the Baptist to prepare his second coming, to prepare the people who have ears to hear and eyes to see. And so we look back on Bible times so often going, man, what would it have been like to be with John the Baptist? What would it have been like to see the first coming? I believe that they were looking towards the time we're living in now going, what's it going to be like when he comes riding on a horse, when he comes in victory as a conquering king? I wonder what that generation's going to be like. You want to go back and be with John the Baptist, but John the Baptist wants to come and be with you. A lot of people, they just want to die and go to heaven, but everybody in heaven wants to bring heaven to earth. They're saying, let me at him. Let me at him, Jesus. Let me come back down. I see how powerful you are. Give me another shot at this. I'll do more this time. We're wanting to retreat and just go up to heaven, but heaven wants to come down and invade earth. We're here today to be like John the Baptist. We're here to have a voice John the Baptist had a voice crying in the wilderness. And when they would ask him, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? He was always quick to say, I am not the Messiah. I am just a messenger. I am just a forerunner. I am just a voice crying out, preparing the way. And then Jesus came, which is amazing that he got to see Jesus in John chapter 1. When Jesus comes on the scene, he points him out, and he goes, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. I told you about him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then he baptizes Jesus, not because Jesus had sin and needed to repent, but Jesus wanted to do all things right as the perfect man, being our example. And then he became a follower of Jesus. And we know in Jesus' first coming, his ministry was short, only a few years. But sadly, John's life gets cut shorter than even Jesus' ministry. He eventually is caught rebuking a political leader named Herod about an adulterous affair that Herod is having with one of his relatives. And he's taking the wife of his brother, I believe, and they're, they're having a battle back and forth. And eventually Herod says, I'm done trying to argue with you. I'm going to arrest you. And he gets beheaded. He gives his life for Jesus. But before he gets arrested, we, we learn this about him, that he, like us, was just a normal man doing ministry. And he had points where people could probably try to discourage him. We don't know what it felt like to be John, but we know at one point when he's arrested, he said, man, I don't know if Jesus right now has the right plan because I'm believing in the first coming. He's also doing the conquering of the second coming, but somehow I'm in jail and they're about ready to kill me. It says John asked his disciples to go check on Jesus and say, are you really the one or are we supposed to wait for another? It's something how being locked up for Jesus might change some of your theology. But thankfully, he had enough humility 
to hear his disciples come back. And when they came back, they told him, they said, John, he's still the one. You weren't crazy that day when you pointed him out. He is the Lamb of God. The eyes of the blind are opening. The ears of the deaf are hearing. He's raising the dead. He's doing what the Bible said he would do. You were right, John. But John had to understand in that time of discouragement that his plan wasn't going to be the plan. Like I said, he probably, with most of the Jews at that time, thought the first and second coming of Jesus was going to happen immediately, that Jesus was going to rise up from being a baby in a manger and healing everybody to conquering like David, in whose line he came. And he was going to be a legitimate king, ruling on a throne, conquering all of the Roman Empire. Yet Christ had a plan that was also prophesied that had to come to pass, which is the Gentiles being saved. How many are glad we're in the age of the gospel reaching the Gentiles as well as the Jew? Otherwise, heaven would have been a lonely place or, uh, you know, the new kingdom on earth would have been a lonely place. Only probably a few thousand Jews would have been there. You know, so God wanted to populate heaven with every nation, tribe, and tongue and bring heaven to earth. And so we hear the heart of John here. And while they're trying to spark that jealousy, I see that even now people are trying to make us jealous of what other ministries are doing. This is not the way we're supposed to look at ministry at this time. There's people doing worship outreaches in, in the cities. There's others that are going and traveling around from city to city. There's churches that are opening up and they're being a little bit more strict and then there's those that just kind of let it happen, you know. And the world wants to pit us against each other, wants to kind of pick a fight. You know, well, you know, John MacArthur is doing this. Are you doing what John MacArthur is doing? Or, you know, Sean Fiette, he's worshiping like this. Are you guys doing what he's doing? Oh, you know, Bevelyn from Jesus Matters, she's doing this. Are you guys doing what Jesus Matters is doing? And this is not the time for us to argue among the Christians about who's doing something for Jesus better if we're all on the front lines, let us do what God has called us to do. Because why? Get it right here. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. I can't receive what heaven doesn't give me. But I have an assignment during this time. There may be another church that gets inspired, opens up, and starts having thousands show up where we're just having, you know, a couple hundred in our two services combined. I can't now look at that person and go, man, I'm jealous of them because they're doing more in this final hour. No, I have my place. I have my role. And it's the same thing with you. You can't be jealous of your neighbor and what your neighbor is doing. But we all have a part to play. I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about those who are running off in the back of the backwoods over here just hiding, not doing anything, saying, well, I'm just like you guys. No, you're not. You're scared and you're a chicken. I'm talking about all those John the Baptist out there being like Jesus. Are you guys listening to me? So I'm not saying, like, you get away with that. You don't get away with that. Well, you guys are radical. You've opened up. We're still waiting. No, no, you need to be radical and open up, too. Okay, but, but you get my point. Among us who are radical, because they bring, they bring up the competition between John and Jesus, two radicals. They try to pit them against each other, and John gives us the foundation, not only for this time, but for all time, and that is we can only receive what heaven has for us. We're believing God for 100,000 disciples in this city. 
But if God gives 100000 to another church in this city before he gives it to us, are we to be jealous? No. There's more than enough to go around for everybody. Amen? I mean, there's what? Eight million people in greater Chicagoland? So we're not to be jealous. We're not to even compete with each other here in this church. Well, how many, you know, disciples do you have? Or how many go to your life group? Or what's going on with the people you're praying for? Or how many miracles have you seen? We should all have this as a foundation of how we look at the ministry we're doing. I can only receive what heaven gives me. I can be obedient to everything he asks me to do, but I cannot decide the results. And so this encourages me even in a time like this because I want to see thousands saved. I want to see revival come. And I want the young people of our church to believe God with me that this could be that very season. But at the same time, if we don't see it this year, are we going to give up? Are we going to stop being radical, stop jumping at the altar, stop, stop coming to church? Oh, because God owed us revival. You know, when we all go to Washington Park September 16th to join with Sean Fiat, that's the next thing coming up. You know, we all go to this thing. You know, God, you have to send revival. And then if he doesn't, well, we stop. We stop worshiping in the parks. We stop praying. We stop seeking God. God forbid. Or if it breaks out over there, do we stop meeting here? And say, oh, you know what? Okay, Washington Park's in revival. Everybody run to revival centers now. Everybody run to that one spot. Do we give up on the neighborhoods here? Do we give up on the community here? The, the people who live right next to this church just because there's revival down there? No, we have to come back here. I mean, we can visit revival, obviously. But we have to come back and contend for this area. We have to contend for the people here, the neighborhoods here. And so we need to know our place in the kingdom of God. The next lesson that we get out of this is that he says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. How many know the church belongs to Jesus? What I love about this is that we are the friends of the bridegroom and we are also the bride. In other words, we are the workers who put the wedding together and get ready for it, and then we get to dress up and get married. So some of you ladies who might have been married like this where you put your wedding together, you put all of the work into that wedding behind the scenes, and then you also got married, you can relate to this kind of illustration because we're not just the friend of the bride, we are also uh, the bridegroom, we are also the bride. But I want you to see this as John the Baptist rejoices in this. He says, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears his voice. I want to ask you a question today. Are you willing to be the friend of the church today and do whatever it takes to prepare the bride for Christ and rejoice when you hear the word of God and what he's doing? When I see people quitting on local churches, they say right now 10, 20, 30, 40, almost some, some stats I think are as high as 50% of those watching online are not going online regularly anymore. Regular church attendance is down. Why? Because people are at home in their pajamas and after a while it just doesn't feel right to them because church to them was more of a show, was more of a social gathering. And now that they've lost that aspect, they've lost the motivation to even hear the word of the Lord. They don't even hear what God is doing. 
I want to ask you today, do you want to hear what God is doing? Do you want to hear it in person or you just want to hear it online? Come on, you want to hear in person what God is saying to the church, don't you? But get this. You not only need to hear it, you need to be a person that prepares others to hear it and shares it everywhere you go. You need to be the one that says the bridegroom is coming. He is coming. I'm here to get you ready. I'm here to get this community ready. And guess what? A lot of them don't want to get ready. And they don't want us to tell them the bridegroom is coming. They want to go on with what they're doing. Because imagine in the time of Noah or Lot, during those times, there were probably people with great incomes, and they didn't want it to end and it turn into something else because, man, they had invested a lot of their life into what they were doing. And there's a lot of people right now that don't want the kingdom of God to come because they love their kingdom. They love that they get to make money their way, live their life their way, sleep with people their way, be how they want to be. And so when we talk about Jesus coming back, that's almost like telling somebody that your parents are coming home when you're having a house party. And literally the Bible actually gives a parable that says it's like that for some people. Jesus is like the owner who leaves, puts the servant in charge, and then the servant starts partying, and the ones he doesn't like he starts beating. And then what does it say? The master comes when they least expect it. When they least expect it. And so I want to ask you a question today. Do you belong to the bridegroom? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you longing for Jesus? In this generation, are you longing for Jesus? Do you want to hear his word? I mean, come on, can you close your eyes just for a moment? Could you imagine Soldier Stadium being filled like it was in the time of Billy Graham, but for this generation, and the word of the Lord going forth? Could you imagine Humble Park filled shoulder to shoulder, wall to wall of people, and the gospel going forth? Can you imagine what it would be like for the word of the Lord to come and for Jesus to bring his presence and to bless us with his voice and to give us joy in the midst of the suffering and give us a harvest of lost souls. I'm talking about your family that's lost getting saved, your neighbor getting saved, the governor getting saved, the mayor getting saved. How many would like to see that as you open your eyes? Say, Lord, do it. Come on and use me to do it, Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And if the world rejects me, he doesn't reject me. And that's the way you and I have got to think about this, my friends. Because if they don't find joy in hearing the word of the Lord, that's okay. You still belong to Jesus. You get to still go to heaven whether, whether they go there or not. Whether this city wants Jesus or not, you and I get to decide for ourselves, do we want Jesus? Because it says they attend the bridegroom, these friends, and they listen for him, and they are full of joy when they hear his voice. And I want to be a part of this generation of friends of God. Let it be said of Metro Praise International, they were a friend of God. Where were they during COVID? They were sharing the voice of the Father through Jesus Christ, their bridegroom, everywhere they went. Where were they? They were on the streets. They were at their jobs. They were in their homes. They were sharing the joy of one day marrying their Jesus. And then last but not least, 
He says it like this. He makes it so personal. He says, man, my joy is full. My joy is complete. Why is that? Because he knew Jesus. He knew that it was more about knowing Jesus than just doing things for Jesus. Because at some point, we're all going to run out of ministerial strength. I hear these stories all the time about great pastors and missionaries who are left alone into these nursing homes. And I have one that I want to visit with another pastor. He said, will you come and visit this one man with me? He's old. He's in a nursing home. He's soon to pass. I said, yeah, I'll go with you. Why? Because even after the work of a pastor is done, even after the work of an evangelist is done, we still belong to Jesus. And so John the Baptist understood this, that his time of ministry was about ready to be done. He didn't know how. He probably thought at that time that the ministry was just going to get over. Jesus was going to reign, and that's the kingdom of God on earth. But he was right that his time was short, but it sadly was going to be his martyrdom. And then he says this to us. He must become greater. He must. And I must become less. And I now think about this in my life. And all the things that God may ask me to do. He may ask me to be a part of revival. He may ask me to, you know, to win my whole family to the Lord and all of these wonderful things. But there is nothing greater than letting Jesus be the Lord of all and all that I have. I am not here for God just to bless me and for those blessings, as we've said before, to become idols. No, in all the expansion of God in my life, I am supposed to see a decrease where I let Jesus take it over. So when I was a single young man, all of me for all of Jesus, I gave it all to Jesus. I became less and he became greater in my life as a single man. But as I expanded into being married, it became more that I had to give to Jesus. Now in my marriage, I become less and Jesus becomes greater as I expand. As I then have children and my life expands, it's not that I put my will over my children. No, I become less and God becomes greater in my parenting. And so in everything that we're given, we're always supposed to be coming less, and Jesus is supposed to be coming greater. What is Jesus doing in your life right now? Has he given you a job? Has he given you a family? Has he given you a ministerial calling? Has he expanded you? Do you still see that there's going to be more expansion? This is awesome. But in all of those things, you become less. Jesus becomes greater. Jesus becomes greater on your job. Jesus becomes greater in your marriage. Jesus becomes greater in your family. So that it's all Jesus. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, all to Jesus. As I think about these last days, we can become greater in our desire to see greater things and miss God becoming greater. I could become a great preacher during this time and miss God becoming greater in my preaching. So what do I want to be a great preacher, or to have a great relationship with Jesus through the preaching? Do I want to become a great dad, or do I want to have Jesus be great in my fathering? Do not let what you and I have prayed for, believed God for, take us away from Jesus. As a matter of fact, let those things be opportunities for Jesus to become greater. Vinny, would you come please? Here's my heart for us today as a congregation. Somebody say, make it plain. We have to be ready to receive all that God has for us.
What does God have for you in this generation? What is heaven wanting to give you? I don't want to go up to heaven as D.L. Moody gave an example and see a room full of revival, full of healings, full of miracles. And then me ask the Father, what is this? And he says, here's all the things I wanted to bring to earth, but you never wanted to receive. You have not because you ask not. We have to decide right now that we're going to receive all that heaven has for us. Father, whatever you want to give us, give us now in Jesus' name and prepare us for the things that we have to wait for. We want all that heaven has for us, Father. Can you pray that and mean it today? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, everything you have in heaven for the worship team, we pray that they will receive, that they won't be like others who have missed out, oh God, but they'll receive. We pray for every marriage here, God, what you have prepared for marriages during this in times, that they will receive, oh God. We pray for families, oh Lord, what heaven has prepared for families during this time, we will receive. We pray for the single adults and the young people, what you have have heaven prepared for them they will receive nothing missing nothing lacking in your own words in an attitude of prayer would you pray it with me right now father i receive from heaven all that you have for me oh lord don't pass me by don't hold back anything, God, that's good for me. Pour out your spirit, oh God. I am your servant, O oh Lord. Whatever that means, whatever it means for me to receive all of heaven has for me, I receive it now in Jesus' name. And if you're here and not saved or haven't been born again, that's the first thing heaven wants you to have is a relationship with Jesus. In the attitude of prayer, I want to ask you the next thing. Is it your joy to hear his voice today and spread his voice all over this world? Will you be like John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness? Will you cry out and say, he's coming, he's coming? Would you let your friends know, your family know? Would you think of, come on, three to four people right now that God's given you a voice to speak to them? And in this time, will you commit to hearing the voice of the Lord? As much as it depends upon you, would you keep coming to church, to Bible study, discipleship? Would you keep hearing and sharing the Word of God? We just want to hear your voice. Bridegroom, we love you. We love you, Jesus. Father, you sent your Son for us, and we won't reject him today. We won't be distracted today and miss him and miss out on having a relationship with him and hearing his voice speak to us. Speak to us, bridegroom, in the morning how much you love us. Speak to us throughout the day. Speak to us as we lay our head down at night. Oh, Jesus, lover of my soul, speak to me. Speak to me. May my joy be complete. If there's anybody here struggling with having joy today, would you let the Lord know that you want to hear his voice, that you want to be full of joy? And then lastly, would you say in this attitude of prayer, in all that God gives me, in all that I receive from heaven, may I decrease and may he increase. All about Jesus in my family. All about Jesus on my job. Jesus in my finances. 
Jesus in this generation. Jesus in how I vote. Jesus in the friendships that I make. All to you, Jesus. All to you. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? In this attitude of prayer, would you stand up with me? Would you stand up with me? We're going to close out, and if anyone needs to pray, we'll have prayer workers up here. You can do that as comfortable as you feel. But I want us to end worshiping today. I must decrease so that he can increase. I've got to decrease my attitude. I've got to decrease my time that I spend on other things so that he can increase in me. What are things you can decrease in right now that God can increase in? Maybe you were never raised by godly parents, so you don't know what it's like to have God in your home. Ask the Lord to get rid of any stinking thinking, any bad habits of parenting, and say, Lord, increase in me what you want as a parent. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Today it's all about you in our lives. I sense that revival is coming. I do. I believe that people like us are going to see it. But we have to determine. We have to determine to be where God wants us to be, hearing his voice and decreasing so that he can increase. A few moments and then we're going to worship. Would you just seal this in your heart today? This was a message that touched me in such a tender way as I was preparing it for you. And I pray that it's brought you closer to Jesus. And if you need prayer or encouragement, come on up as the band begins to worship. And we'll dismiss in just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, to Jesus. I surrender. give it all to Jesus today. I'm going to love and trust Him. And trust in His presence. Let's sing this out again. If there's anything you're holding back, give it to Jesus today. If there's anything that you desire to see, release it to God. It's got to be His way and His timing.
As those who are praying up here, please continue to pray. Those who can hear me, be encouraged by this today. What was the difference between a John the Baptist and a Judas? Both of them had the opportunity to decrease and Christ increase. But John the Baptist really did it when it came down to the things of his life, the pleasures, where Judas, he looked at Christianity or following Christ like, what can he get out of it? Oh, he gets a little extra money out of it. He takes some out the money bag. Oh, he gets popularity because everybody loves Jesus. In other words, their difference wasn't in their exposure to Jesus. It was in their desire to have Jesus. And in these end times, there are a lot of people who say, I know Jesus, I know about that, oh yeah, I even believe in the end times. But they don't have a heart like John the Baptist to say, Jesus have it all. I got to decrease, 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 so you can increase, increase, increase. I pray that all of us here will determine in our hearts to not be like Judas to just get out of Jesus whatever we can, whatever benefits we get. And then when it doesn't work, we, we leave him and commit spiritual suicide. But that will be like John the Baptist saying, whatever it is that Jesus has for me, I want him. Whatever I must do to decrease, I'm gonna do it. I want Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want Jesus in my family, no matter the cost, even if my other family rejects me. I want Jesus in this generation, even if they think we're crazy. I want Jesus on my job, even if they fire me. Come on, I want Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you cause us to decrease today, that you may increase, that we may be like John the Baptist, preparing this generation for your second coming. May we rejoice in hearing your voice and sharing it with others. And everybody said, amen. If you believe.